It's Uncovered, and it's Wednesday, and as you know, Uncovered and Wednesday, they work together. I'm Anthony Davis, and here's Ron Filipkowski, my uh, little friend and partner in the uh, box on the right. Uh, Ron, I made a special request to ask the House to stop voting for not Jim Jordan, just so that we could squeeze this show in <laughs> amongst uh, Ben's gallant effort. Ben has uh, been doing an incredible job of explaining and talking us through the votes that have now into a kind of third round, uh, just so people know the, the latest round of voting, the third round of voting. Jim Jordan again failed to get enough votes. He needs 217. He got 200. Um, Hakeem Jeffries for the Democrats got 212 and there were 20 votes that went to other candidates who obviously didn't stand a chance. But that's good for Hakeem Jeffries. Not so good for Jim Jordan. I would say the word is humiliation. What about you, Ron? Absolutely. Just a just a public humiliation. Uh, I, I think I think that they knew when they were putting up Jim Jordan that he was a controversial person, that there were a lot of establishment moderates who did not want him, didn't like him. But they thought that a high-pressure intimidation campaign was going to work on these guys because a lot of the guys who were against him were moderates, and they employed that. They buried them in phone calls. They made threats. They text everything, Um, and it, and it it didn't work with a lot of them. It worked with some, but not with a lot. And... The thing about Jim Jordan, as we know, is he is a toxic character, right? He is, you know, all aggression. The guy's never got a bill through Congress, right? The guy is, you know, effectively ineffective, but he shouts a lot, makes a lot of noise, very aggressive, and they like that about him. He also covered up this sex abuse case when he was a a coach at Ohio State University. There, There is so much against him do you think those 20 holdouts are holding out because of those things specifically because they know that he's an insurrectionist you know he supported the insurrection was very much uh, kind of linchpin behind the scenes to pull that together tell me why you think there are 20 holdouts what are some of them thinking if this was a secret ballot, he would lose a lot more votes. Uh, the only reason why some of these people are even voting for him is because they're afraid. They're not afraid of him. They're yeah. afraid of the base. So I think that that's a big part of it is the MAGA base is very loud. They're very aggressive. They might only be 40, 50 percent of the Republican Party, but they're the vocal people. They're the people who show up, who will go to your house, who will sh- show up at your office, call your office, harass you, harass your family. So I think that that's a big part of it is that a lot of them um, just don't want to stick their neck out. And a lot of them are afraid of being primary, drawing a primary challenge and having Trump, you know, endorse somebody against them. Um, so there's this conundrum going on right now where you have about you have 18 Republicans right now in the House who are in Biden districts, districts that Biden won in 2020. They some of them had to stick. They decided they made the calculus that they were going to vote for Jordan, which is going to really, really hurt them in the general election. But they did it for a variety of different reasons. So those people are in deep deep trouble. So I I think a lot of it was that. That's part of it. But the other part of it is I think just a lot of them know that Jim Jordan is completely, utterly incapable of managing 
anything or bringing anybody together. I mean, you only have to look at it at 16 years. He never passed. Not only did he not pass a house, the house, he have a bill passed the house. He never had a bill even make it to a committee hearing. Yeah. I mean, this guy is not interested in any way in legislating. His entire 16 years in Congress has been causing trouble, criticizing people, throwing bombs, launching investigations. And that's fine. I mean, that's kind of how a lot of them play the game. But you can't expect to govern and run the institution if that's your rap. And a lot of intimidation as well. I mean, you've mentioned that. We heard Sean Hannity was, you know, putting pressure on people. Behind the scenes, there's been a lot of senior Republicans or Republican supporters who have created this pressure campaign to... I even heard that they're phoning the wives of Congress people, right, of congressmen, uh, trying to put pressure on them to force their husbands to vote for Jim Jordan. Yeah, and that's sending a message. That's sending a message that we're not going to leave you alone. We, you know, we know where you live. We know your phone number. We know your wife's phone number. Yeah, it's it's very much. They haven't you you know the carrot and stick. They haven't they haven't used the carrot. You know, yeah. they've only used the stick, and that and that is what Jim Jordan is. See, McCarthy was the opposite. McCarthy made a lot of promises. I'll give you this. I'll give you that. I'll do this for your district. I'll give you this committee seat. He used a lot of honey. Jordan uses uses a lot of vinegar. You know, he doesn't have honey in his repertoire. So his whole game plan was, I'm going to threaten, I'm going to cajole, I'm going to intimidate, I'm going to arm twist, and I'm going to get my way because that's what he does as a chairman of a committee. That's how he runs his committee. Well, you know, it doesn't really work in the, in the democratic process. You know, we see when he runs his committee, he violates his, the rules, his own rules all the time. But he just says, I don't care. I'm, I'm in charge and I'm, this yeah. is what well, I'm he doing. He didn't respond to subpoenas from the January 6th committee, right? right? And, right. and that kind of shows the measure of the man, doesn't it? Sure does. Yeah, he just, it, it's just like Donald Trump. The laws don't apply to him. The rules don't apply to him. I'm going to do what I want. And that, and again, that's fine if you're a committee chair, like you want to just run amok. But you can't have a Speaker of the House that way because the Speaker of the House is responsible not just for getting things to the floor and getting things passed, but also running the building, running the institution, presiding over the Capitol Police. There's so many other responsibilities that the Speaker has in addition to just passing legislation. This guy could never handle that. In fact, I, I even said back when his name was being bandied about way back when McCarthy was 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 Speaker – I said, I just don't believe that Jordan is going to do it because I think even he knows his limitations. But but he really was pushed to the front by other people. Um, honestly, I feel like for him, it's going to be a relief when he finally gives it up, because I think he deep down knows he is not the man for this job. And the other thing that kind of triggered me was this is an example just by nature of who he is and us kind of digging deeper and learning more about what a terrible person he is in Congress, just goes to confirm, in my mind, that he covered up the sex abuse scandal at Ohio State University. It, it, it fits, you know, the description of who this guy is really fits, doesn't it? You know, the thing that one of the things that struck me was how many Republican House members who have been there for years 
said that they don't really know him very well, that they've never had a conversation with him. And I thought, how could that possibly be the case? He's the chair of what? Judiciary and oversight, not oversight, judiciary and weaponization. I mean, Jim's been around forever and uh, 16 years. So that tells you that he's not really interested in building relationships with colleagues and all of that. He's just, he's a, he, like, like somebody said, he's a legislative terrorist. That's all he is. He is there to, to destroy, not to build. Now, in contrast to the chaos of the Republican Party, is this amazing unity of the Democrats and seeing every single Democrat voting for Hakeem Jeffries. And, you know, when he stood up to vote for himself, that wonderful round of applause. The Democrats are so together on this, aren't they? And, and it just goes to show the difference between a party that is in chaos and disarray versus one that is absolutely, you know, bound together in, with, with one goal in mind. You know, I've been a Democrat three years, okay? And so one of the, that is probably the main thing that has struck me about being in the Democratic Party and being active compared to being active in the Republican Party is the unity, is the fact that the Democratic Party is so much more diverse not just the kaleidoscope of races and religions and and area, but also philosophically, it's just so diverse. And, you know, we see that right now over the Palestine-Israel conflict, where you have very, very, I would say even Zionist, very, very pro-Israel members and very pro-Palestine members on polar ends. And so, and somehow this coalition, which is much more diverse than the Republican Party, is able to have unity, unity of purpose, whereas the Republican Party, which is largely white people that are conservative and rural and suburban, can't can't get along. It, it's it's really just amazing to me, and uh, it's definitely a strength of the Democratic Party. Yeah. We should just say uh, just some breaking news that there is a uh, peaceful protest going on in the in the Capitol building by uh, Jewish protesters calling for a Gaza ceasefire. And, you know, let's be clear, there are there are plenty of Israeli Jews and supporters who do not support this, um, the response, the this heavy response from Israel towards Gaza and towards Hamas, I should say. Um, and the Capitol Police are currently making arrests. Uh, this happened around half an hour ago when I last saw it. But um, there is a lot of criticism, some saying, you know, why isn't this being called an insurrection when it's a peaceful protest? Is that in the rotunda? I don't really know the geography of it. Yeah, it is. And and look, uh, you know, look, it, it's not comparable to January 6th, of course. Yeah. But yes, all the right wingers are saying this is January 6th. They should do 10 years. No, I mean, these people didn't break through police barricades, smash windows, beat up cops, bear spray cops to get in. OK, but they were told to leave. They didn't leave. So they're being arrested for trespassing and they, and they should be. Uh, they broke the law. And, and, and I think everybody who protests knows that that's part of the deal. Yeah. Uh, many people who protest want to be arrested. That's part of the protest. So, um, yeah, that's what's happening. And and hey, they should follow the law. 
Yeah. I saw that Greta Thunberg had been arrested again a couple of days ago, and I was just thinking she's the last person that should ever be arrested. She's like the only climate protester that we can think of. Meanwhile, the world is burning, and they keep arresting Greta Thunberg. Poor girl. Um, Okay, let's talk about some of the stuff that we uh, have. If we get any more news about the the speaker, they're not going to do any more voting today. They're obviously going home now and or certainly going into their offices and having serious communications and uh, some people are getting a bit upset. In fact, I noticed the Texas um, Republican representative Chip Roy, he said a little while ago that um, to grant further powers to the House's speaker pro tempore in order to resume the House business makes no sense, is directly contradictory to the Constitution. Just tell us very quickly before we move on, because Ben was talking about this earlier, this could be an alternative to voting for a speaker in the short term is to have this temporary speaker continue the role just to allow house business to continue. I don't really like it. I mean, it it's basically like kicking the can. It's uh, And I know that um, Hakeem Jeffries is certainly open to it as a temporary. Ma- it's sort of like a continuing resolution. Like you're just temporarily funding the government for another 45 days to deal with it later, you know, and, and that's fine. But, but I, I think that they need to get this done. And, and I think that that also lets the Republicans off the hook. I understand we have important stuff that we got to get through. We got to get foreign aid passed as far as Israel and Ukraine. Um, And by the way, a brilliant political move of Biden to take, you know, to package Israel aid to Israel, aid to Ukraine, and funding for the southern border in one package. That's right. You basically put Republicans in a position that they want to fund Israel, they desperately want to fund southern border, but they don't want money for Ukraine. Okay, now you have to vote against. But it was huge. Was it? It? it was like twenty billion or something. I mean, this is, it was an yeah, enormous I mean, amount of money. Just such a smart just hardball politics brilliant as far as you want to argue whether it's right or wrong yeah that's a different argument i'm just saying as far as just machiavellian political politics it's brilliant it's a brilliant move and and it shows the biden's you know 40 plus years in washington he he knows how to play this game and these clowns don't you know they're overmatched biden i have to say in contrast to donald trump's crazy stuff at the moment and obviously what we're seeing in the house with Republicans failing to find any consensus, is that Joe Biden, who is currently in Israel, I do wish they'd stop giving him transatlantic flights to do. I'm just worried that it's... it's, For one day. (laughs) Right. I'm I'm really worried that it's just reducing his life expectancy by a week or two all the time. But he was very... um, He's been very solemn, and he's been speaking very clearly like a real wartime politician and, and really owning the stage even upstaging Netanyahu, because he's talking about Palestinians not being Hamas. And he's saying, you know, let's not confuse the fact that innocent Palestinians are not all Hamas. And to go bombing the hell out of Gaza with all this collateral damage as we're seeing is really not helpful. And he's trying to broker, at the moment, he's trying to broker some kind of temporary stay to allow um, the people of Gaza to leave without without being attacked. And uh, he's actually, you know, him with Anthony Blinken, who, of course, has been nonstop going around other countries because they're worried that the region will rise to this and actually the war could spread. And, and I do think that Biden and Blinken as a team have actually really handled this very well. Yeah, Biden's speech today was 
be perfect. I mean, yeah. just I'm I'm sometimes critical of him. Like I'll point out the mistakes where others maybe won't or things I think he could have done better. But this was masterful. I mean, it was there's three Biden tones to speeches. I don't like two of the three. The tone number one is the yelling. OK, where he yells and he typically does this in outside events, even though he has a microphone and doesn't need to. And I don't like yelling Biden because he comes off as angry Biden. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't like whisper Biden either, where he whispers into the mic and he does this. I don't like that Biden. What I like is the one today, which is the conversational tone, yeah. which is just that firm, resolute, but a conversational tone. And what he said was so brilliant. Um, and I didn't expect it at all, what he said. He said that after 9-11... We were so angry as a country, and, and this absolutely reflects our mood at the time, and we wanted revenge, and, and we wanted to just do something, anything, blow somebody up, you know, blow people up, kill somebody, and, and, and he said, because of that anger, it caused us to make mistakes, and we went too far in many cases, and, and he implored Israel not to make that same mistake, not yeah. to use the rage and the anger of the moment right. to cause you to do things you're going to regret a decade later. And I thought, man, that was just such a perfect way of addressing them on their own soil. And it, and it justified him going there to do it. I, I completely agree. You know, for all the support that we have for Israelis and, and the Palestinians, not, not Hamas, just to be clear, um, I really I don't enjoy Netanyahu. I really, I just don't think he's the I right don't either. guy. He really is a terrible person. And, and you know, he, from what I'm seeing, and I think this is why Biden addressed that fact about, let's be clear about the difference between peaceful Palestinians and Hamas, is that he can see that Netanyahu just wants to wipe everybody out. You know, yeah. Netanyahu is not interested in sparing Palestinian civilians. And, and you know, this is the thing with, with Netanyahu and why America has to play a very careful game. And the West generally, you know, because this state was created in 1948. And so therefore, you have to take ownership of it. But at the same time, to have somebody like Netanyahu, you know, that the international community is referring to a lot of the response to the Hamas attack as, as a war crime, potential war crimes. And so, you know, it's, it's caused a humanitarian crisis. And this is why the language is so difficult. This is why when you watch certain TV networks, you rarely get a kind of sense of the truth because people have allegiances. America mm -hmm. has an allegiance generally, so does the UK, to the state of Israel. And, you know, for those of us who advocate for peace and no war, well, that means you don't kill civilians no matter which side they're on. And, it, you know, it's a very complex conversation to have. Um, OK, we've got a whole bunch of clips. We've got a whole lot to talk about. Let's... Um, Let's start with um, Donald Trump. He's been putting out some weird videos. In fact, I would argue that he really is starting to unravel now. You know, the, yes. the pressure of the court cases and the, the fact that he's had this gag order and so he's you know, being silenced and he can't get his head around that because no one throughout his whole life has ever told him to shut up. Just explain to me, before I show the clip, where you think Trump's head is at right now. Okay, so most people know this. I've I watch every single Trump interview and speech for years, every one, every press conference when he was president. And um, it's it's painful, you know, but 
<laughs> but I do it. So I'm very, I, I know, I know his stump speech by heart. I can pretty much recite what he's, his every story he's going to tell, you know, his, his little mannerisms is I can, we could watch a Trump speech and he could start two words of a story and I can stop it and tell you the entire story yeah. word for word. So, so I'm that wired into what Trump is all about. I can tell you over the last month, there's something very wrong with him and very different. And I don't know if he's on something or if it's what you said, all of the pressure is getting to him or it's his diet, travel, all the court cases. It could very well be a combination of things. Well, stress is something stress. that you know, we, we deny that stress actually is a condition, but it really is. And, and I do think he is feeling that pressure. He's slurring his words. He's sweating a lot, and and he makes excuses about the sweat. He 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 stops. He he's aware that he's sweating because he he'll stop and he'll say, "Oh, the lights in here are really it's yeah. really hot in here." But you know, you look at the people and no one else is sweating. You know, so so he's aware that this is happening, and he's mispronouncing simple words all the time. And so what we've decided to do with Midas, since they do that to Biden constantly, every little mispronunciation, slur, whatever. They clip it. So we've decided, okay, we're going to start doing this to Trump since this is happening more and more. And and we've been pretty relentless about showing the the cognitive decline that's yeah. pretty obvious here. And so is the new Biden-Harris HQ account, which yeah. is new on Truth Social and on Twitter. And that is also clipping Trump and, and exposing him. And Yeah, where's that been for the last... Two years. Well, this been, is the thing. I've been you know, calling I've always, for that. <laughs> right. I've always said this. You know, social media is a great place to kind of call it out. Yeah. Um, anyway, let's let's look at this clip of Donald Trump. The one that hit the headlines in this last week is about the GOP eating their young. Here it is. Instead of losing by 57 to 70 points, are getting together with Rhino Paul Ryan, Mitt the Loser Romney, Bill No Guts or No Talent Bar, and some broken political investors that will soon come to me as most others already have, these failed candidates should have started by campaigning effectively, which they didn't because they really don't have the skill or the talent to do so. Romney, who today couldn't get elected dog catcher in the great state of Utah, should have beaten an absolutely failed first-term Obama, should have beaten him very easily. If he and Rhino Paul fought as hard against Obama as they do against President Donald J. Trump, they would never have lost. They would have beaten Obama. But remember, Republicans eat their young. They really do. They eat their young. Terrible statement, but it's true. And that's the problem with so many in our party. They just don't have the loyalty and the strength to stick together. They go after people who are on their side rather than the radical left Democrats that are destroying our country. These people are losers. And the Republican nation must stop following their failed ideas and policies. So it's cannibalism now on, on the right, is it? Yeah. So, I mean, there's two parts to this. When I when I clipped that um, and he put out about eight of those that day. So this was the one I decided to put on Twitter. And that was only a, a small part of one of them. Now, I was focused more on the first half of that, which was the this I, I can explain what he's talking about because it's not obvious. But, you know, Brett with 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 Midas picked up on the second part, the eating, eating your young. I I did pull that clip because I thought, well, it's very strange for Trump to say, eat your young. He's not 
one of the young. He's not young. So what is he talking about? But Brett picked up on the fact that it's eat your own. And he he was misreading the teleprompter. Right. Yeah. And so that ended up being the part of it that went viral, not the substantive and part. And he repeated that I was it wrong. On. This is what's so crazy, he isn't it? He, he said did. it twice. And which just goes to prove that there is definitely more cognitive decline. Right. Um, and, you know, people always criticizing Biden for, you know, his age, which obviously we can recognize is actually experience. But Trump is also old, just three years younger, but doesn't have the experience. And so here's another reason why these two characters are kind of obviously pulling in completely opposite directions. I, I really feel that, that for every video that that Trump puts out that is just where he's just falling apart, I think it, it really is very helpful to the Biden-Harris campaign. Yeah, so you're, you're right. And so that the second part of it is what sort of went viral and everybody was talking about. For me, being the political junkie and strategist kind of person, I was more focused on the first half, which is this. What he was talking about there is Trump's greatest fear in this primary is to have everybody get out and have him face one person. That is really what he doesn't want. He is very happy that it's like a crowded field where everybody's splitting the votes. And DeSantis is very frustrated with this situation because he feels like Nikki Haley is his biggest problem, that the two of them are splitting votes. And if Nikki Haley wasn't in the race, he would get her votes and he would be doing quite well. And I think that that's true. I think if Pence was out, and I think Pence is going to be out soon because he's out of money. Scott, same thing, out of money. He'll be out soon. Christie will be out soon. So Vivek will never get out. So what Trump is concerned about, what he's talking about is a lot of the big donors of DeSantis and Haley got together and had a meeting that he right. got word about. And he's worried that the two of them are going to team up and run as a team against him with the other people getting out, which could be a serious threat to him. So that's what he's griping about in this video. Um, whether that's going to happen, I don't know. But So that's the part that I was focused on. But yeah. of course, Brett focused on the part that went viral. We should mention while talking about fundraising that it was announced uh, yesterday that, that Joe Biden has actually raised an absolute fortune. Oh, yeah, sure. And and the other part is he doesn't have to spend any. He has no burn rate. Yeah. He doesn't have to spend any of it. Yeah. And that's also what drives Trump crazy is that, you know, Trump's doing well fundraising, but he has to spend it as fast as it's coming in, not just on campaign stuff. But, you know, he's got to spend it against his primary opponents and on his legal fees. So, yes, that gives Biden a tremendous advantage. It's so weird for me, you know, as a European looking in on American politics, because, of course, none of this fundraising goes on in, in British politics anything like this and i just think that the money that is being raised for campaigns Obviously. could have like solved the homeless crisis it could have cured the hunger world hunger i mean and, and yet it's just money that's just being flushed down the toilet it's, it's it's so depressing um let's talk about tommy tuberville i know you're a huge fan of his he's uh, always he's effectively standing in the way of of these appointments and and the military and getting anything done just explain very briefly and then i'll show the clip and we'll talk more about it yeah you know people like Rand paul and ted cruz have to be very grateful to tommy tuberville that so much of the the hate that used to be directed at them is now like tuberville's taking a lot of that yeah. fire so uh yeah i mean he he so we're talking now about what is it? Oh, the poems. So there's there's two things that he's obsessed with. The fact that, you know, he heard he got the story that 
one one um it was an aircraft carrier or battleship or whatever left port and uh, they read a poem over the loudspeaker to the crew this is not unusual <laughs> not that unusual in the military um i pointed out that george Patton wrote poetry all the time um you know and but see the tuberville's pea brain and never been in the military football guy whatever you know, poetry is shows that you're soft, you're a beta male, you're yeah. weak, you're an artsy person, you're and you can't have military people into poetry. It makes them soft. So so he's complaining about that, you know, in addition, so it, that makes the military woke. And you know, he complains about diversity in the military and of course the abortion policy. So he has all these issues with the with the US military, and he's convinced himself that you know it's going to hell. He's so dumb. I mean, this is the thing that whenever I watch him, and you'll see in this clip, he's just like one of the dumbest people. He really is. Here he is. Well, first of all, I'm not lifting my, my holes unless they move this policy back the way it was. You can't play dictator in the White House and the Pentagon uh, and make your own laws. Uh, I ran for two years to get this job and represent the people of Alabama, and that's what I'm going to do. And we're going to vote on this, or we're not going to have promotions from admirals and generals unless they do it one at a time. Uh, but it's, it's, it's just awful what our military is going through right now. Every time I hear something about what they're doing on, for, for instance, the Gerald Ford on this first, first uh, uh, mission of going out to sea after they finished it, you know, they're reading poems over the loudspeakers. And I mean, I mean, it's just ridiculous, isn't it? The idea that a poem makes you soft and that anything other than to be a kind of white machismo military person or personnel no 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 trans people please no gay people please nobody who might, might want to get pregnant or let alone have an abortion i mean this this mindset it is so antiquated and stupid and yet just explain to people why he really is this kind of linchpin and why it's down to him to get these appointments in place and and the significance surrounding him being a stick in the mud the Senate has this antiquated rule that probably needs to be changed, which, you know, basically military promotions have to be approved by the Senate for uh, field grade officers. And, you know, there are hundreds of them and uh, for senior officers. And, um, you know, generally, though, what they'll do is they'll put them in a slate in a batch of 20 at a time, 30 at a time, whatever, pass them through. Yeah. Uh, and that's how uh, how it goes. But uh so what he's saying is, well, you can just put them through one. So so one senator can can veto that, can say, no, I don't want them to go in in one batch. I want them to go individually. He can't stop that. So what eventually what happened was Schumer finally put through the top three generals that needed to be approved, the commandant of the Marine Corps, the head of the Air Force and one other guy. They all went through. Uh, one at a time, but you can't do that with 300 people. Literally, you saw you saw today. I mean, the, the Senate is only 100 people, but it would t literally take about an hour for each promotion, and and that's all the Senate would do all day is military promotions. So it's just not practical. So, I mean, the and the, he made one other argument this week too about the abortion policy, which made no sense whatsoever. What he said was that the abortion policy that see. Women were really just starting to get in the military in a big way in the 80s when I was in. And I, I remember, you know, more women coming into the Marines when I was in 
you very rarely saw them at the beginning. And so they're more coming in. But so they put this abortion policy in place back in the 80s. And basically what the policy was, was just allowing women in the military to get abortions and not get in trouble. That's it. So what he's saying is, well, Biden changed the policy. Why did we need to change the policy after 30 years? Well, the reason is Roe versus Wade was overturned. And a lot of soldiers, sailors, and airmen who are women are now stationed in places like Texas and Alabama where abortion is banned. So the military, all they're doing is allowing women to leave their bases in those states to go to states where it's legal and to pay them while they're doing that and to give them leave and come back. That's what he has a problem with. I mean, God forbid there's any compassion at all coming from Republicans. And, and this loss of humanity is something that I keep coming back to. On all these topics, the, the humanity is missing from these people. They must be really unhappy. You know, all of them. Jim Jordan certainly is an unhappy person. But Tuberville as well. This kind of, there is, there is no kindness or compassion or empathy and to be a person who doesn't who kind of lacks those qualities must make you a really kind of hollow type of individual yeah yeah exactly so you you can't you can't understand um struggles in life why somebody has problems why somebody would become addicted to drugs why somebody would fail at their job this is this is the mentality. You just can't understand that. You, you you look at people and you go, "What's wrong with you?" You know, pick yourself up, do better, and, and that that's the mentality that Tuberville has. And yeah, there's no empathy. There's no uh, anything as far as what hardships that people might go through. As far as you know, really in Tuberville's mind, and he's talked about this uh, the diversity. We we played a clip before where he was complaining about equal military is not an equal opportunity employer. Look, Tommy Tuberville wants white men in the military that's what he wants um let's move on because he's giving me a headache uh (laughs) i I think uh ron DeSantis, if if he is uh (laughs) in any way improve improving on tommy tuberville um DeSantis is now starting to also get a little desperate hemorrhaging money as we know from his campaign so now he really is turning on donald trump and and starting to kind of criticize him as we've been explaining about this mental decline. Here's the clip. I would say, go out, get rid of your teleprompter. Don't use that as a crutch. Go to debates, show up and debate for two hours, and then we'll be able to see kind of where he's really coming from. So we've seen over the course, every interview, every time he's gotten off the teleprompter for like the last two months, they've had to clean things up for for what he's saying. So I just want to see, you know, the Donald Trump, this is a different Donald Trump. In 2016, he was freewheeling. He's out there barnstorming the country, doing all this. You know, now it's just a different guy. And that's just, it's sad to see. Yeah, see, the, the, I mean, the cleanup, the cleanup, I think he's also referring to, um, you know, we shouldn't not mention that, that only a few days ago, Donald Trump was criticizing Benjamin Netanyahu and being very critical uh, towards the Israelis, which is not a position the U.S. would typically take. And then, of course, there was backtrack from his people, and they were trying to kind of clean that one up. Just tell us what else he is referring to here. Yeah, well, that's mostly what it is, you know, praising Hamas and saying that they were smart and yeah. bashing Netanyahu and, and other and other things. And he's because he said for the last two months, they're constantly having to clean up his ad libs at his rallies. 
Now, let me just tell you this. For two years, two years, I badly wanted Ron DeSantis to run for president. I was one of the few, few Democrats because I knew that he had a $110 million war chest to run in a pack, parked in a pack, left over from when he ran for governor that he didn't spend because he didn't need to. And I wanted him to use it against Donald Trump. And I wanted him to use it against Donald Trump this way, exactly what he's doing now. Attack him on this, attack him on January 6th, on his character, on his fake Christianity, on all of the things, on his womanizing, on his sexual assaults, all the things that are his greatest weakness. But DeSantis didn't do it. Instead, he spent the money on round the world trips and private jets and consultants and this and that. And he pissed it away and he wouldn't take the gloves off. So now what we're seeing is he's failing. He's going under and he's finally, finally going after Trump. Well, it's too little, too late. He's out of money. The, the, the problem is I just saw these numbers. 75% of the DeSantis donors are maxed out. In other words, they, they, they've given the maximum that they're allowed to by law. They can't give any more. So he, he can't go back to them and get any more money at all. So he's, he's tapped out. Um, he'll, he'll probably limp into Iowa. If he does well in Iowa, there's a chance he could reignite the fundraising. But um, it, it's just a shame that, that what we just saw there is what he needed to be doing for six months. And it probably would have really hurt Trump. Yeah. Uh, but he didn't do it. So much of these candidates is, is it's driven by ego, isn't it? You know, that they haven't really got a plan, an end game. The, the ego drives them to, to, and I often think, you know, what, what, what characteristics in humanity make you want to be a politician? So obviously there's two camps, right? There's those who genuinely think that they can make a difference or want to change the world or help their local community or, you know, or who've got to know people locally and recognize what is needed. But then there's the others who are, you know, the, the Trumps who are who are effectively just egomaniacs yeah. and they love the attention. And for him to take private jets and to jet around the world and feel like he's a somebody for a minute. And also that realization that what goes on in Florida does not really work for the rest of the nation. You know, it's it's very contradictory, isn't it? He's talking about the great state of Florida. Meanwhile, I keep reading and writing about all of these terrible things that are happening in Florida from Nazi rallies to the cost of insurance. I mean, it's not a great place to live. No, that's is why I intend to move next year <laughs> out of Florida. <laughs> no, it's not. I mean, yeah, the car insurance is the highest in the country. It's, yeah. it's, it, there's a lot of things that are not great. Um, you know, the, you know, I don't want to spend too much more time on DeSantis, but, but you know, one thing is he is a policy wonk. That's the other thing. We talk about all these Republicans who aren't interested in policy. DeSantis loves policy. He spends hours every night poring over policy papers. This is one of the things that makes him so dangerous is because he is good on policy, right, right wing policy. Yeah. He's good at implementing it, crafting it, all of that, putting it into practice. It's just that. You can't sell the Republican voter that you're a good policymaker. And that was that was his original strategy. I'm great on policy, but the problem is the Republican Party under Donald Trump doesn't care about policy anymore. Um, before we move on from Ron DeSantis, I know you are obsessed with his the contents of his nose and what ends up on his fingers <laughs> and then ends up on other people. Um, yeah. He, and and I think it's more of a sweating problem. You know, he's always like wiping the kind of under the nose. Um, let's just take a look at uh, Ron the uh, bogeyman. 
we've all witnessed over the weekend. Administration and uh, and uh, the, you know, one of the uh, issues that the Republican candidates, you, you mentioned in your opening remarks that you would go after the drug uh, cartel. The governor, as he's waiting for the mic, if I could just put a pitch in for the, want to stand and just wait for the mic? I should just apologize to anyone on the West Coast who's having their lunch right now, <laughs> because that was pretty disgusting. You, you, you post these clips. What's behind it, Ron? Yeah, well, this is, this is sort of me taking Republican campaign operative tactics to the Democratic Party. <laughs> and actually, who I work with on this stuff is people with the Trump, you know, Trump influencers, MAGA people, MAGA meme people. We share these stuff. We pass these stuff back and forth to each other about DeSantis. They provide me with stuff. I provide them. This is this is a Republican tactic, which is to kind of go after little personal uh, habits or foibles of people and to make fun of them. And Democrats aren't so much or haven't been traditionally very comfortable doing that. Um, I'm, I'm quite comfortable doing it. <laughs> I, I like it. So um, because, you know, the thing is, it's really is effective. You know, a low information voter who's not really into, you know, policy on Social Security or whatever can remember, oh, this is the disgusting guy that always wipes the snot on people. They remember that stuff. And, and it does stick with people. And so I, I think that it's quite effective. And especially when you're talking about a guy who is so obsessed with his own how he presents himself you yeah. know his look his his everything trump the same way you know the the trump people hate it when i go after his hair his shoes his dress you know his sweating his makeup they hate it because they understand that you know that stuff does hurt them it is interesting isn't it with donald trump if he's got as much money as he claims he might find a suit that actually fits i mean he really there is this theory that you know you if you've had some success you tend to kind of remain in the in the decade or the period where you were most successful and this is why Donald Trump like wears the 1980s suits with the yep. 1980s tie and the whole kind of 80s look you know the lifts and all that stuff is because in the 80s that's when you know before everything got too public for him that was when he probably had the time of his life um I like that theory Let's uh, just a recap. If anyone's just joining the Midas Touch Network, that uh, there's no more speaker voting today. The last vote was the third vote. Jim Jordan only got 200 votes. Hakeem Jeffries for the Democrats, 212. 20 others voted against Jim Jordan, making a kind of making a stand against this insurrectionist and guy who covered up sexual abuse at Ohio State University, recognising that he would be unsuitable for Speaker of the House. And so I presume that more voting will resume tomorrow. Uh, am I right in saying it's going to happen tomorrow or will there be a... I mean, there is urgency, isn't there? They've got to do something. The House yeah. is shut down. Yeah. I mean, why, why, they, why they didn't do anything over the weekend or Monday... I mean, I know a lot of the, the big guys had big fundraisers planned for the weekend that they didn't want to cancel. But Monday, I'm not really sure why they were closed Monday. Uh, yeah, it's uh, they. Th yes, they're going to have a vote tomorrow because they have to. They have to do something. Yeah. And it'll probably yield the same result. I mean, this is the problem. Remember, it was 15 rounds of votes well, for Kevin McCarthy. Do you think that's what will happen here? They'll just no, kind of chip away no. and convert one person at a time? I, no, I, I don't think so. I, I think that 
the next round of voting is likely to be multiple candidates from the Republicans. And and that presents a strategic opportunity for the Democrats to be ready to pounce. If they get word that a pretty moderate Republican is going to be nominated, they could all then vote for that person and band together with five or six Republicans. And that's the speaker. And, And I think ultimately, if I had to predict that's my gut feel how this is going to end up right interesting there. okay any names or are you going to save those i owe no i i don't it's so hard to say it's hard I to thought, find a moderate I, republican i tweeted right? it's going to be somebody no one's talked about somebody like a Vern buchanan or yeah. you know one of these old guard appropriations guys who really just is in congress to bring home the bacon for their district you know um bring home the money uh it's going to be somebody like that I think people now also have renewed respect for Nancy Pelosi. Not that she needed any, but, you know, it's a big job being speaker. You're you're third in line to the or second in line to the presidency, right, after the vice president. But also you there's there's a lot more work. You can't skive, you know, like if you want to be a congressperson and just do the, the, the bare minimum, as plenty do then you can. But the moment that you get that, that speakership, then you are, you are working eight days a week. Um, let's talk about someone who does not do the work for their constituents, and that is your favourite George Santos, who, um, how, many, how many counts? 23 felonies. He's currently uh, been indicted. He's, you know, waiting for trial. To say that what he did in Congress this last week was a diversion tactic is an understatement. Projecting, there was obviously a lot of heat on him for the indictments and for the felonies. And so what he decided to do was something I have never actually seen in the halls of Congress. And correct me, because you know more about it than I do. But he threw a a hissy fit. He he basically started ranting and raving and, and screaming and none of it made any sense. The reporters didn't really know what he was talking about. I'll play the clip and then we'll we'll talk about it. But this All was right. this was a moment of of Capitol Hill magic. That's what it is. And the next time he tries to accost me with a child in my hand, I want him out of here. What happened? He's an animal. I am holding a child. He is a fucking terrorist. Who? Mr. Santos. Who? Congressman Santos. Who? The gentleman back there is a terrorist sympathizer that has no business in this building. What is happening in Israel is abhorrent. What is happening to the people of Israel should not be defended. Nobody defending Hamas has any business in this building, whether you're elected, whether you're a civilian. It is a disgrace that we allow people to parade that kind of thought in here. And I apologize for the congressman's use of the F word, but uh, again, not something I've heard in the in the in the halls of the House before. Tell us what was really going on here. I am going to miss George Santos. Don't <laughs> say that. I, I mean, am not going to miss I, this I, guy. I want for just for comedy. I, I want him gone. I think he should be out. I wish he was out yesterday. Yes. Yes. That's uh, let's set all that aside. But OK. At the same time, if he gets a podcast, I'm going to watch it because this guy is just don't endless, give this guy oxygen, endless entertainment. <laughs> Where's he going to do the podcast from? From prison? I mean, do me a favor. Yeah, he might from prison. So, I mean, like today dur- during the speaker vote, he tweeted out a side by side picture of Kristen Cinema when she wore her big yellow Big Bird outfit with 
what Jasmine Crockett was wearing a, a, a yellow outfit today. It was, it was actually very nice, but he put them side by side and was like, who wore it better? This is, he's basically being like Joan Rivers at the Academy Awards. Yeah. Uh, Roasting people. While the speaker vote is going on. This yeah. is our boy Santos. So what you just saw there was, okay, the day before he had been, the superseding indictment had hit. So that happened. And then Santos, since, of course, he claims he's Jewish, he's not, but of course, I think he's claimed that in the past. Well, he also um, claims he's George Santos, and he's not either. So. Yes, is a big supporter of Israel. So um, what he said was, so first of all, he came, he said he, he was holding a baby. He came out of his office. Nobody knew. <laughs> Here's George Santos walking down the hall with a baby, an infant. Nobody had any idea who's this kid. We found out later, I found out, um, it was one of his staffer's kids that he was holding. But he, he wouldn't explain who the kid was. But did he hold the baby because he knew he was going out into a public area where there would know. be reporters and he thought that the baby would be his protection? Maybe. Maybe. Because this guy, I guess, accosted him about, you know, how can you, how can you condone, you know, killing innocent Palestinians in Gaza? And he just went off on this guy and handed off the baby back to the staffer. And and so what you're seeing there is about like 20 seconds after that incident happened, where he's running down the hall and the reporter's like, why are you so upset? And he's yeah. he's ranting and raving. So, I mean, it's you know. I said earlier, it's a diversion tactic. And and for those of us who take an interest in, in mental health and, and projection and all of the kind of, you know, below the surface stuff, what I see is, again, a bit like Donald Trump unraveling. I see somebody who is scared, who has run out of options, who knows he's been caught mm. and is having to do anything to create a diversion so that people don't see or don't ask him difficult questions. Well, you're right. There's a lot of similarities to Trump. There's also one big difference in that Santos knows he can't get elected. He has no money in his campaign account. No money's coming in. He is absolutely going to lose his primary. So his days are numbered. At least Trump has like the hope he's doing, you know, reasonably well in the polls that if I can win this election, maybe I can get myself out of this. The Santos Santos does not have that hope. <laughs> yes, no hope. So let's talk about Roger Stone. Um, one of the weirdest people to walk the planet with his huge sure. Nixon tattoo on his back. That I should recommend that documentary, Get Me Roger Stone, that I think is on Netflix. I don't know if you, anyone's seen it or not seen it, but it really is a very interesting insight to somebody who has spent decades in politics Yep, and really is one of the weirdest characters. Um, we have a clip of him here trying to give Donald Trump some kudos for and claiming that Donald Trump, who to all intents and purposes is not a religious person, has never read the Bible, takes no interest in it, but is pretending to be all of those things so that he can get that evangelical vote. This is Roger Stone kind of doubling down. I'll, I'll show the clip and then you can tell us what's really happening here. My phone rang uh, and it was President Donald Trump. Uh, and he was returning my call from the night before. Uh, and he said, uh, have you got a minute? And I said, well, Mr. President, let me be honest with you. I'm walking out the door to church. Could I call you this afternoon? And he said, are you going to church right now? And I said, yes, sir, I am. He said, could we pray together? And I said, absolutely. And he said, I'm going to let you lead. And I, I said a brief prayer. He never said that. 
He never said, could we pray together? This story is entirely made up, surely. Roger is one of the few people on the right who really hates me a lot. <laughs> I mean, like, not just where I annoy him, but he really hates me. I, I had a... um a friend of his asked him to unblock me on Twitter. <laughs> and uh, he said, no, he was not going to ever unblock me. Um, what that is, that event was, um, that was last week. Uh, it was a pastors for Trump. It was a, it was a night event down in Miami. The The guy who runs pastors for Trump is Jackson Lawmeyer, who's a pastor in Oklahoma who ran for Senate and lost in the primary to Mark Wayne Mullen, interestingly enough, who trashed Gates last week. We had him on our show. That's the guy who beat Jackson Lawmire. So, so Stone knows he's going in front of this audience of pastors, evangelicals. And uh, so he comes up with this Trump story that he's got. A, he's probably thinking in his diabolical head, I've got to come up with a Trump story that involves religion somehow. And there's not a lot of uh, ma material available to him. So now, now, Roger claims that he's this born again Christian and that happened three years ago when his wife got cancer. I, you know, I doubt most things, Roger. I tend not to question somebody's religious commitment or sincerity. He claims that he really did find God. I, I, I'm a little skeptical, but, but he claims that. But this story made me fell out of my chair because I was watching his speech because I knew okay, if Roger Stone is going to give a speech to a group of pastors, this is going to be good. So I watched it. And sure enough, you know, that was the the money, the money part where he's he claimed that, you know, Trump called him and asked him to pray with him, which, of course, we know there's no way that that happened. <laughs> there is so much, you know, the, I think a lot about the lying that goes on on, on the right, you know, and, and, and the thing that frustrates me most is the faux outrage. That is something that really is a through line with with all Republicans, you know, getting getting so kind of riled up about things just to, you know, score political points or to own the libs or anything like that. And here we have and we see it with, you know, a lot of Trump surrogates, people who create a false narrative to either paint Donald Trump in a better light or to criticize Democrats. Because, of course, most of the stuff, if not all of the stuff, that, that Republicans say about Democrats, whether it's like them wanting to abort babies at nine months or any, any of this kind of crap, that none of it is true, Ron, like none of it. And I just wish there was more pushback, very specific pushback against some of the stuff that's being said. Let me let me correct one thing. He lost to James Lankford, not Mark Wayne Mullen. Before before all you people in the comments go after me, he, <laughs> okay. he, he lost to James Lankford. So anyway. I want to clean that up. That's good. Cover, cover your tracks while you yeah, can. Right. <laughs> but but the, the, the culture of lying and the culture of propaganda, yeah. it serves nobody. And, and, you know, the whole point of a government and governance is that you, you're able to do something that is important. In fact, let me just quote um, John Fetterman, who was standing outside the uh, Capitol building earlier. And he said, entertainment is not governance which was, I thought, a very kind of poetic thing for, for him to, to say in this moment as this vote is going on and, and, and Jim Jordan just loses time and time again. He's basically saying in entertainment it's not governance that actually Republicans enjoy this process, that, that all well, of sure. this faux outrage and the, and the, and the crazy behavior, they, they deride pre pleasure from it. And keep in mind what 
Roger's trying to do here is convince pastors that Trump is really a Christian and is really devout. And what he said right after that clip in his speech was, well, Trump's not somebody who's going to wear his religion on his sleeve and go to church, he said, but Trump is a praying man and he loves Jesus, you know? So yeah, it's creating this fake facade, you know? In other words, like, yeah, you know, he never goes to church. What you can see with your own eyes is not true. What you see with your own eyes is Trump yeah. never goes to church, never talks about Jesus, never talks about God, you know, but he's a devout Christian. Yeah. Because what I see behind the scenes, he's devout. That's what so, he's saying. And even though he's a, a, a um, sex abuser, and even though he's a, a cheats on his wife and all this stuff, don't see all that stuff. Right. Yeah, it's so, right. it's so interesting. And the other thing we should mention at this point is that the pastors are now doing the kind of political um, sales pitch, aren't they? They're going back oh, to their, to their, you said con- that. their um, uh, con- congregations. There's the word I was looking for. And they are not just talking about the word of God, but they're talking about the word of Trump. I, I'm glad you said that because that was actually the whole point of this conference. Right. The entire point of the conference from Lawmire was to tell pastors, we have to get more politically involved uh, politics is part of religion and Christianity and, and it's intertwined and, and we can't just preach the Bible anymore. We've got to get, so this is what he was. This was the whole message of the whole meeting was pastors need to be more active in politics, which in itself, just without getting into the conversation about the separation of church and state is a big problem, isn't it? Because as we know, you know, the, the, the whole point of being free, and and certainly from the the Democrats' perspective, is that anybody should be free to practice whatever religion they want. Just don't make me do it. And that tragically is not what's happening on the right. And if we look at what's happening in you know the, the Federalist Society and 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 all of these organisations that are working to push religion closer and closer to the kind of the into the political space. Absolutely, it's a problem. It's a problem with the schools. Yeah, you know they're trying to do it with the school system. Absolutely. Yeah. And the Heritage Foundation with Project Twenty Twenty Five. If you if you were to read any of this this stuff, you'll see that that, that religion and and Christianity, or you know, a, an extreme form of Christianity, is very much at the heart of the plans for Republican governance from twenty twenty four onwards. Yeah, and and I'm very concerned that this Supreme Court is going to make a decision that is going to unravel the concept of separation of church and state yeah. in this country. I, I, I fear that that is coming. I have no doubt that it is coming. Um, let's talk about Stephen Miller, who, uh, it, to all intents and purposes, is a bit of a scam artist. This is one of the Trump advisors, Trump speech writers, the architect of a lot of the Trump policies, these extremist and far-right Trump policies. He now he fancies himself as a lawyer, and he now is trying to bring about what these these kind of class action suits just tell us about what he's doing before i show the clip he's not a lawyer so but you know here's what the trump to trump trump elevated a lot of people much into much higher positions than they ever would have been able to accomplish under anyone else there's because decent people wouldn't work for him stephen miller would not have been a senior advisor to a president speechwriter for any other person. There's no, he wouldn't have gotten the closest he could have gotten to the white house was, you know, a landscaper, but you know, Trump. So, so what happened is when Trump loses all of these people that have been elevated, I would say 
there's that old line in um pride and prejudice i think higher than your natural station in life right that they they were elevated higher than their talent and abilities ever could have uh justified and so when then they all go back out in the private sector they're all a lot of these people were like what the hell are we gonna do now uh how am i gonna get a job and and corporate america isn't gonna hire these clowns you know how am i gonna get a job that's gonna pay me that's at a level where i was before and Stephen Miller is a classic example. Like, who's going to hire Stephen Miller? You know, Fox News doesn't want him. The guy's, you know, nobody wants to watch him for an hour. No. Um, so he starts this this uh, pack or this company called America First Legal, sort of like what Tom Fitton is doing with Judicial Watch, hires lawyers. But what he does is he basically does these commercials and and he's looking for mostly white people who have been discriminated against. That's his game, you know, where he's like, if you're a white person and you've haven't lost a job or didn't get a promotion or didn't get into a university, we're, we're the right people. So, so he's been doing these commercials that are, that are intended to get white people to hire his, his company to file, to, to go to court against and file lawsuits against companies. It's so weird. I was trying to work out who he reminded me of. And in this clip, I realized it's Nosferatu. This is our lawsuit against Progressive Insurance Company for illegal racial discrimination. Here's our lawsuit against the National Archives that have exposed thousands of damning documents and emails implicating Joe Biden in a massive corruption scheme. Here's our lawsuit against the FBI and Department of Justice as part of our investigation into their censorship of free speech. Here's our lawsuit against the FTC as part of our investigation into the illegal targeting of Elon Musk. Here's our lawsuit against the leaders of Washington State for pushing gender conversion on our children. Here's our lawsuit against Mark Zuckerberg's Meta, also for engaging in illegal racial discrimination. I mean, firstly, so, none of that is true. Let's just remind people. Here, well, here's the scam with these guys like Judicial Watch and, and, and Miller and, and others. They never talk about what ha- anybody can file anything with a court. You know, like it doesn't mean that it's ever actually litigated. It ever actually goes to court. A lot of these things get thrown out. Um, also, a lot of these things are like amicus briefs, which are like friends of the court. In other words, they're joining other lawsuits already in progress. And he's coming in and saying, I'm going to file this as a third party outside to to give the court an additional argument. So he's not even really a party to the lawsuit. So this is the scam. They're saying we're filing all these things, but he's not actually talking about like winning any of them or any results it's a a grift it's a grift it's a grift yeah and it's always a grift with these people this is the thing like that you know if there if he was a genuine person and not a vampire and kind of wanted to help people through class action suits which is you know perfectly acceptable you would be doing it for the right reasons but you know he's created a thing that's not a thing and he's now he's almost eating He's young. That's what he's doing here, right? He's he's eating should be his own. Yeah. The idea that he's turning on his own people in order to seek, you know, they've already grifted money out of them for the Trump campaign. Now it's like, how much more can we rinse out of, in in many cases, some of the poorest people in the country? He needed a job, right. and he created, and 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 it also attracts like money from people like Leonard Leo and others, you know, to give. You know, this is a way that he can get donations from some of those big guys 
you know, a million here, a million there and keep him in the lifestyle he's accustomed. Uh, let's talk about uh, Eric Trump on the subject of being kept in the uh, in the lifestyle that one has become accustomed to. Um, we have a hilarious clip that you've uh, uncovered and posted where where he basically is saying that, you know, he as a child was made to work on the building sites with his father, Donald Trump, or by his father, because if he wanted to get a bicycle, he had to be paid minimum wage and, and earn it. Obviously, this is made up, right? Look, I don't want to make fun of like chubby kids here, you know, but if you Google Eric Trump when he was like 11 or 12 and look at some pictures, he looks like the Pillsbury Doughboy. He looks like he's never been outside. I mean, he's 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 chubby. He's pasty white. His fingers look like they would, um, you know, they're they're just soft. He was just a soft kid and he's not a manual labor person. Put it that way. So he loves to tell this story and he tells it all the time. And it, he stretches it a little more each time. And, and he, what he's trying to do is he's trying to tell a story about his childhood because he doesn't want a lot of the people he's speaking to are blue collar, working class people, rural people. And he's trying to relate to them. Right. And it's hard for him to relate as somebody who grew up with a, a dad who's got, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars skyscrapers in New York. It's hard to relate to that, you know, welder in Omaha, Nebraska. Yeah. So this is his way of doing that, which is, you know, trying to claim that when he was 11 and 12 years old, that his dad made him work for minimum wage on construction sites, you know, and, and he describing. And there's just no one who knows eric well who would ever think that this is true <laughs> you know he also it, made us work very very hard i was on construction sites when i was 11 12 years old you know doing demo breaking down walls wow, concrete sheetrock uh, plumbing i mean stuff i literally still do for myself you know these days and, so you uh, know how a building you know how a, a skyscraper is built you know how we were uh, making minimum wage and and he put us on those sites because he cared about work ethic there was no free time there was no nonsense mm-hmm. you know you're gonna work if you want a bike you're gonna go work for it Sorry to cut you off there. What were you saying? <laughs> well, you know, the other part of it is he's also trying to build up his dad and try and show what a yeah. great dad he said. As we know, you know, Trump had nothing to do with these kids growing up whatsoever. It's like Barron now, like you never see them together. Uh, the mom raised these kids. And, yeah. and and most of the time, the kids were not even in New York City. She had them upstate or in Czechoslovakia or, you know. So the idea that like, the dad is, you know, his his claim here is that his dad was making him work construction for minimum wage to earn money to buy a bike. I mean, who believes that? What show is he on there? Because that's Carrie Lake interviewing him. So this what is her new. Is her, she has a podcast now, which I'm not exactly sure how she's going to run for Senate and do a weekly podcast. But she has a new podcast, and every time one of these people start a new podcast, I cringe because it just adds to my workload of things I got to watch. You <laughs> yeah. know. She she is is she running for Arizona Senate because she kind yeah. of has all but disappeared waiting for that I guess no she's she announced last week so yeah she's running against Ruben Gallego and we're all waiting on cinema she has not made a decision or announced anything I really hope cinema does not run because I think Gallego takes her in a head to head and if uh, and if cinema is I mean takes Carrie Lake but if cinema is in this mix who knows what's going to happen. Let's um, finish up talking about um, uh, Mike Flynn, 
Uh, he's conducted a uh, a collection of cash from the audience on one of these Reawaken America Griftathon tours, as you described it. Uh, Peter Navarro's in there. And he's, he's like, we don't like to do this, but we just had another batch of subpoenas come out of the Jack Smith Special Council. So he's literally having to go around the room with a hat. Just explain, because I think, you know, it's important that we don't forget that these Reawaken America tours are, are going around the U.S. spewing some of the most extreme and far-right propaganda, trying to scare people and, and, and obviously grift them. I mean... Mike Flynn is, you know, twice lied to the FBI. He's a former national security advisor. Donald Trump says that if he wins, he's going to bring Mike Flynn back into the into the White House. I mean, he's a very dangerous character, isn't he? So I've been following these reawakened things since they first started. Guy named Clay Clark is the one who runs them. He's the business guy behind it. And um, they were enormously popular money makers they used to charge a lot to get in for vip seats and all of that back in the day and um during really there was during covid that these things really became popular with the anti-mask people the anti-vax people all of that this is when it really became popular but since covid has sort of faded out of the public consciousness and mandates went away and all of that these conferences are really struggling to keep people in. Now, two of the big headliners of these conferences has been Michael Flynn and Eric Trump, and they get paid a decent amount of cash. And so do some of the other speakers. But a lot of that money has dried up. And so what they're trying to do is bring in other people like Cash Patel, like Peter Navarro, as you see up there on stage, hoping that'll draw people in, more people in. But it's really not not working. Um, a lot of those people who are there are not paying anything close to what they were charging a year ago. So what you see there is um, is that uh, before that, they auctioned off a autographed pillow that Mike Lindell autographed. They auctioned it must be that worth off. something now. It might be the last <laughs> pillow left <laughs> on the planet. Yeah. And now they're passing that. And this was all supposedly for Peter Navarro's legal fees. So they're literally like in church passing buckets around and people are throwing change in the buckets. This is where Michael Flynn, the former national security advisor to the president, this is what he's doing now. It's pretty sad. It, it is. And, and you know, the, the humiliation of this, because we should just mention, we have to finish in a few minutes, but we should just mention that, you know, Donald Trump has been in court today and and you know a lot of these cases against peter navarro and george santos as we're seeing and i mean is there going to be a tipping point where they start to realize that actually they are the baddies in this storyline and not the goodies or is everything a witch hunt is everything just a a, a sham and a you know the, the democrats trying to bring the justice department you know down on these people that's a good question because, you know, I look at it from these people that are in that audience or people who go to the Trump rallies. They're getting hit up from all sides. They're getting hit up by Stephen Miller, by Mike Lindell, by Stephen Bannon, by uh, Michael Flynn, by Trump, by their local congressman. I mean, the amount of bombard. If you're an active MAGA person, you're literally getting bombarded you know, a hundred times a day with people asking for money. Now, people involved in democratic politics, we get that too, but not anywhere close to the level 
of what these people are getting. So you have, to, and this is why I focus on the grift so much. I'm one of the few people on social media who focuses on right wing grift. And I try to show it all the time because I'm sort of hoping that some of these people get tired of it. And, and it does sink in that, that this is all, these guys are all charlatans. This is all just a big grift. Um, and there, and there will be a tipping point where finally some of them throw their hands up and say, you know, enough, you, you guys are just scamming us. But look, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> I'm not that optimistic that that day will ever come. Just finally, is it true? Because I saw, I think, a tweet about it or something earlier saying that Trump has effectively already broken the terms of his gag order because he posted Letitia James's address or something. I mean, is, is that true? Because obviously this gag order is very specific about what he can and can't say. In your view, has, has he broken the gag order already? No, because it doesn't pertain to New York. It only pertains to the D.C. case and the parties involved there. So, no, he will break it. Um, and I hope to be the one to catch him breaking it. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, he'll break it eventually. But, no, um, there's nothing There's nothing that says that he can't go after Letitia James. Unfortunately, the only thing, the only order the judge in New York made is against his court personnel. And that's yeah. it, which which is kind of strange that he would do that. But, you know, Letitia James came out and said she doesn't care. It doesn't bother her. He can say whatever he wants about her. Um, she's, she doesn't care. He's not going to intimidate or scare her. So I thought that that was kind of cool that she said that. It, it does suggest, though, that Trump is not being treated the same as every other defendant. And, and you know, even though Tanya Chutkin basically said that, that, you know, she said that nobody else should be able to say these things, so I'm not going to allow it in this case. There's still kind of room for maneuver, isn't there? Because, you know, she only silenced him criticizing Jack Smith and herself and other people working, you know, immediately on the case so as not to prejudice it. But she hasn't completely gagged him. And yet he went out and said, well, you know, I've been silenced, I've been gagged. And he kind of rewrites the story so it suits his base. Yeah, that's true. He's completely lied about what the judge said, which is why we've got to have NBC filed this today. This was breaking today. We've got to have this January 6th trial televised because he lies about what happened yeah. in court. And and MAGA believes him. So, yes, he claims that he's just been silenced completely and he's not allowed to talk. It, that's absolutely not true. It's very narrow. He said he's not allowed to talk about his political opponents. Absolutely not true. The, in fact, the government said you can talk about Joe Biden to your heart's content. That, that It's exact quote of what yeah. the prosecutor yeah, you, said. They said that you could say that it's a, Whatever a political, you yeah, politicized case, which... Yeah you know, suggests that his his First Amendment rights have not changed. But, you know, he is a master storyteller and he will rewrite this time and, and time and if, again. And if the trial isn't televised, you know, all of his followers, all the Republicans will own the only version that they will get of what happened in that courtroom will be from a Fox News reporter or a yeah. Newsmax reporter. Yeah. That's a good point. Okay, we have to finish, but uh, it's always a thrill to spend an hour or so with you. Uh, just a reminder, if you're the, if it's the first time you've seen Uncovered, Ron and I will be here every Wednesday at the same time, one o'clock um, West Coast, four o'clock East Coast. Uh, so join us next Wednesday. The audio podcast will be available to download later tonight if you want to listen to us whilst you, you know, we can put you to sleep if uh, if that's your choice. 
So get that wherever you get your podcasts and join us next Wednesday for another Uncovered here on the Midas Touch Network. Thank you.